live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal. Welcome back to the Dark Paranormal, the Halloween special. This needs no grand introduction. To quote Claire, the submitter of the story, This story began with small, unexplained noises and led to being followed by this thing to three different addresses. I've been bruised and physically scarred by something with no rhyme nor reason. I didn't mess with a Ouija board. I don't dabble in seances or the occult. We didn't move into an old house. The house was built brick by brick by my parents. This true paranormal experience shows just why, sometimes, we should fear the dark. That creak on the stairs. That bang on the ceiling. Why we should trust that feeling of needing to run up the stairs when we've turned all the lights off for the night because something may be watching you and for absolutely no reason it may one day decide it's your turn to experience the dark paranormal Over the next two nights, we will regale to you one of the most paranormally terrifying tales of recent times. So please, lower the lights, make yourself comfortable, and of course, leave your disbelief at the door as we head over to Ireland to begin The Dark Paranormal, The Darkest Chapter. I grew up in a home where there was a healthy dose of scepticism. Not full-on believers or anything like that, no. However, there were some superstitions. We didn't mess with fairy rings. We hoped we'd never hear the banshees wail outside our door. And we believed in an afterlife. Because we all have loved ones there, right? And I think there's an innate comfort in believing that our loved ones can watch over us after they're gone. I remember my dad telling me a few stories of his own over the years. Such as one about when he'd heard the Banshees wail when he was a young man. And another story where he'd seen an apparition of his own mother after she'd passed away. Where she'd shown up at the end of his bed. Just to let him know things would be okay. Sweet that, isn't it? Yeah, we'll all take that type of weird stuff, and we're all fine with that, of course. Other than that, we enjoyed the idea of the paranormal. We were one of those families who used to watch Most Haunted every week, even if only to laugh at Derek's Mary Loves Dick moments of alleged possession making bets and guesses on how long it would take them all to freak out because something touched me or someone had seen a shadow. Anyhow, you get the idea. 
we had a healthy dose of scepticism in our house. And a firm belief that if we were ever in a situation like that, there was no way we would overreact in the same way all of those folk on TV did. But I guess a sceptic is only a sceptic until something happens to them. For me, that thing happened when I was 16. My parents had converted the attic space to make two bedrooms and a bathroom, so that myself and my identical twin could have our own rooms. At either side of each room there was a small door, cubby holes essentially, that allowed access to the remaining attic space, where we kept all the usual stuff, Christmas decorations, bits and pieces. When we first moved into our brand new bedrooms, the doors hadn't yet been put on the cubby holes, which didn't bother me, because the novelty of having my own room at long last outweighed any aesthetic issue. I don't know how long I was in the room before the first strange thing happened, but I think it might have only been a week or two. I was laying in bed, drifting off to sleep when a noise came from somewhere in my room, like when you chink two empty pint glasses together. Not exactly groundbreaking paranormal activity, and it barely even registered on my radar. I just pegged it up to being the pipes, which was a reasonable explanation when you considered that the doors hadn't yet been put on the cubby holes, and there was actually a new water tank in the attic space that had been put in for the new bathroom that had been built the same time. So, yeah, totally logical for it to be the pipes. Except... This sound moved around a lot. And it only ever happened at night time. And only ever when I was just drifting off to sleep. I'd hear the chinking noise over at the far side of my room, near one of the cubby holes. But the next time I would hear it, a mere few seconds later, it would be over by the door to my bedroom. And then, right next to my ear whilst I lay in bed. Weird, right? Well, that's what I thought, but that was all I thought. My head was still disregarding it all as a bit odd. But I was by no means jumping up and down to, There's a ghost in my room! A noise is a noise, and it'd go away. I genuinely didn't think it was strange until one of my friends was sleeping over a few weeks later. She was laying on a fold-out bunk at the bottom of my bed. I heard her sit up in a rush and say, Oh shit, I think I've knocked over a glass. And I nonchalantly brushed her concern aside and told her not to worry about it. That it wasn't anything she'd done. She hadn't kicked over anything. That noise just happens all the time. And then, it started its usual routine of moving around the room at random intervals and varying distances. While I lay in bed as calm as you like. Meanwhile, to say she was freaked out was an understatement. She ended up in the bed next to me, shaking like a leaf. And I genuinely don't think either of us slept that night. Seeing my friends so freaked out and unnerved made me realise that this wasn't normal. This didn't happen to everyone. 
and not every house had weird noises like this. But what was I meant to do about it? To remedy the issue, I started to set a CD to play whenever I was going to sleep. I'd set the volume just low enough to be background noise, to drown out the chinking noise, and it worked like a treat for a while. But then my CD player started stopping. No, not stop. It would pause. Not stop, not skip, not turn off. It would pause. I would hear the click of the pause button being pressed, and then, after a while, just as again I'd be drifting off to sleep, it would click and unpause itself. This kept happening every night, and I was adamant there had to be a reasonable explanation for it. Perhaps the CD was scratched in that one specific place, or maybe there was a problem with the CD player, a setting I didn't know about perhaps. I soon stopped putting on a CD when I was going to bed, because it usually ended up keeping me awake with the pausing and the unpausing. And at this stage, the doors had been put on the cubby holes, and the chinking noises seemed to disappear. So, happy days all round. If only that were the case. I used to have this massive inflatable armchair in my bedroom that I'd sit in whenever I was playing PlayStation. I was laying awake in bed one night. It was a fairly clear night. It must have been near enough a full moon and the window in my attic bedroom let in a lot of light as it had no blind. So the room was dark, but not pitch black. I could still clearly make out the furniture and other items in my room. I was laying there staring at the ceiling when I heard someone sigh loudly and then heard the creaking of someone sitting on the inflatable armchair. It freaked me out and had me sitting up in bed, but when I looked at the chair, I saw nothing. What I did see, though, was this darkness in the far corner of my room. Remember, as I said before, the room was fairly lit up with moonlight and no blind on the window. But this back corner of the room was a pure, pitch blackness. I made my own excuses in my head. I told myself that I'd been about to fall asleep, so I must have imagined the sigh. Probably down to that in-between phase when your dreams overlap. And the darkness in the corner? Well, it was night time. Of course the room was going to be dark. It was probably just a shadow cast by the way the moonlight shone in. Grand job. Debunked. So I turned over and went to sleep content in my denial. I don't recall anything of note happening for a few weeks after that, but the next thing that did happen, I vividly remember, because it's what I usually use as my proverbial line in the sand that separates my life into the before and after the truly weird shit started happening. I was still 16, working part-time in the local Supervalue supermarket in town. 
and also doing an exam attendance job during the day for the school exam period. And I remember this so clearly, because the next day, I had to go and do both of these jobs on zero sleep. With my thoughts in mental freefall, as I tried to make sense of what happened this night before. Okay, so to explain the way my room was at the time. When you stepped through the door, there was a cupboard with clothes storage on the right, directly below the large skylight. Next to that door was one of the cubby holes, and at the back wall was a computer desk. On the left was my bed, which blocked another cubby hole as it was pushed against the wall. And at the end of my bed was a chest of drawers that had my CD player on top of it. But all you really need to know is that my bed was behind my bedroom door. I was asleep that night, that much I'm positive about. I was stirred from my sleep by something touching my leg. Again, I was in that in-between place where you're kind of awake but still asleep enough to know what's going on, so some things make it into your dreams. So, in my dream, something's tickling my leg. But the more I wake up, the more I realise this isn't a dream. And whatever it was that was touching my leg was creeping higher and higher towards my underwear. That realisation alone had me wake in an instant. I reached for my bedside lamp, but something pinned me down. I'd been lying stomach down on the bed, and it felt as if something heavy was sat on my back. It wasn't like a knee or a central weight, but a weight pressed down on every inch of my body, and I couldn't break free for love nor money. I was alarmed and starting to freak out. I didn't understand what or how this was happening, and my brain went into freefall, trying to make sense of all this. I tried to sit up, but I just got pushed down further. And then, my whole bed started to shake. In my head, I'm screaming for help, but in reality, I couldn't make a sound, not even a whimper. This could have lasted 10 seconds or 10 minutes. I don't know which one it was. All I know is that it felt like an eternity. Eventually the weight lifted and the shaking stopped and I was free to move in my bed again. Up until this point in my life, I thought I'd known what fear was. But that night, I wholly understood what it meant to be frozen in fear in its most visceral meaning. I was terrified. Every time I worked up the courage to try and turn on my bedside lamp and make a run for the door, something would touch my leg, or the corner of my mattress would dip as if someone had sat on its edge. But there was only me in the room. I sat there with my knees pulled up against my chest, with my back against the wall all night, absolutely terrified to move until daylight finally broke, and then I ran for it. I went to work. 
I didn't say a word about what had happened because what was I meant to tell anyone? I didn't even understand what happened to myself. So how could I find the words to explain it to someone else and expect them to know what to do or even to believe me? I eventually did tell my mom a few days later. But to be fair, I think I did a rather poor job of trying to explain what happened. Plus, what does a mother even do with that information? I think I should make it clear at this point that my parents built the house. It hadn't been a house that they'd bought from someone else. They'd bought the land and built the house themselves and we'd lived in the house for nine years without so much as a light flickering. Nothing had happened in the house prior to us converting the attic. So for me to trot downstairs one morning with a story like this, well, it sounds far-fetched even now as I write it, so I think it's fair to say my parents didn't believe me, and I don't hold any grudge for that. Like I said, it was a house they'd built, a house we'd all lived in for nine years, and no one else in the house had ever mentioned anything weird happening. So we just put it in a box and put it on a shelf, which would be fine, except it kept happening to me. If not every night, then every second or third night. I'm now 30, and to this day I won't sleep on my stomach for fear of being caught off by what I came to call the nasty thing. This continued at this level for months, and before someone suggests sleep paralysis, I'd like to strike that off the list of possibilities, because my identical twin actually suffered from sleep paralysis, and had gone to the doctor about it, gotten scans, etc., and this happened to her too. Yes, getting pinned down in her bed, and her bed shaking happened to her too. And it took a very long time for us to tell each other about it. But it seems like when I wasn't paying attention to the chinking noise, it migrated across the landing to her room. And when I started getting pinned down, it happened to her a week or two later, and kept happening to her too. This continued this way for months and years, to the point where it became almost normal for me. At one stage, I refused to sleep in my room. I slept instead on a fold-out bed in my twin's room for a month, which is fucked up looking back now, because we'd wanted our own room for so long. But I eventually went back to sleeping in my own room, and I learned how to sense when it was going to happen. I learned to recognise the feeling of danger I felt before getting pinned down, and I got very good at getting up and out of harm's way before it got me. But in all honesty, I was terrified of that room. The feeling was just different in there. Even my sister and other people mentioned it. It was heavy, oppressive, cold, and it always felt like you were intruding or someone was watching you in there. 
I used to sleep with my light on, and I would refuse to enter the room until the light switch was on, which was a bit awkward because the light switch was inside the room, so I had to reach in across the threshold to turn on the light. I remember doing this one day, and feeling fingers dance across the back of my hand. I ran back downstairs and slept on the couch that night. I refused to go into my room alone after that. One day, after school, I needed to change out of my uniform, and I didn't want to go upstairs alone. So my five-year-old brother, Aidan, came along with me. I was tugging on a hoodie, and he was sitting on the edge of my bed, and I noticed that he was looking uncomfortable. So I asked him what was wrong. He told me, I don't like the bad man, but the butterfly man's nice. Needless to say, I grabbed his hand, and we both ran out of there ASAP. And I slept on the couch again that night. Around this time... Dad used to tell me off for making so much noise in my bedroom when he was on a night shift. Mam and Dad's room was directly under my bedroom. But I always said I hadn't been doing anything. He would be adamant that it sounded as if I'd been moving furniture that night or pushing myself from one side of the room to the other on my computer chair. This went on for years. Like I say, it started when I was 16... I went to college when I was 18 and it was only then that my parents realised that maybe something was not right in the house. Dad was laying in bed one night and got woke up by the sound of my computer chair rolling from one side of my bedroom to the other. He was understandably irate as he'd just finished a night shift. He came charging into the sitting room like a bull and let rip at my sister and brother, only for them all to realise that I was in college and wouldn't be home until Friday. Mam was at work and Aidan was at school. Dad, Denise and Anthony were the only three people in the house and no one was upstairs. At this stage, we knew something was off in the house and it seemed to have emanated from my bedroom. As I was in college Monday to Friday, the rest of the family decided to put my room under lockdown. They borrowed a camera from my uncle, and my dad and my twin sister, Denise, set it up in my bedroom. The camera itself had a battery life of about three hours, so they plugged it into the socket to keep it recording for the night. They shut the bedroom door, made sure no one else went up into the room, and the next day they went upstairs to see what the camera had captured, only for them to find the camera where they'd left it on the sideboard, but the charger had been pulled out. Okay, not a big deal. The camera should still have a few hours of recording on it. So they turned it on to review the footage, and it showed Dad and Denise setting up the camera, exiting the room, and then it just turned off, the battery going completely dead. At this stage, I'm in college, and whatever it was that was tormenting me upstairs got bolder. Personally, I believe that it got bored when I wasn't there, as it had no one to torment, and it wasn't getting the attention it craved. 
and so it decided to venture downstairs and to the rest of the house to see what it could stir up. My mother runs her own bookkeeping business from home and has a small personal office in the spare room. One day she was working away, the radio playing lowly, a cup of tea on her desk and a pile of invoices she's working her way through. When she hears my youngest brother, who would have been about six or seven at the time, Mom! yelling down the hallway. Mam acted on reflex and was halfway up the hall when she stopped in her tracks, realising that Aidan was at school. He was at school, I was in college, Denise was in college, Anthony was in school and Dad was at work. She was the only person in the house. She quickly grabbed her car keys and drove to my auntie's house in town. A few weeks later, I recall coming home from college on a Friday evening and Mam was sitting at the kitchen table, looking a bit uneasy. I asked what was wrong and she brought me into the living room and showed me my framed prom photo. The stand it was on was now broken and the photo had been moved inside the frame in such a way that it had torn the photograph. She explained that she'd been hoovering the living room when the photo had simply swiped itself from the mantelpiece. Not at her or anything, but she'd been the only one there and she'd been stood over by the doorway, a good ten or twelve feet away from the mantelpiece. Yet something had thrown this from the mantel to the floor. Unsettling, but Mam told herself it must have been a breeze, seeing as she'd had the windows open to air the place, even though none of the other framed photos on the mantel had moved. So that was the explanation that she settled on, and one she wholly believed. Until later that same day. She'd been working in her office down the hall again, and... She hears this massive noise. Going to investigate, Mam found that the large mirror that had hung in the hall was now on the ground. At this point, I feel the need to explain that this mirror is huge. It's about a foot and a half tall and probably four foot wide. That had hung on the wall in the hallway for ten years. And here's where it gets weirder. If a mirror falls, it falls down, right? Gravity. So, if it were to fall down, there's a hall table with a vase of flowers directly below it, neither of which were knocked. When Mam found the mirror, it had been placed neatly on its side, leaning against the wall to the right of the table, unscathed and uncracked. The wire that hung it was unbroken, and the hooks that held it in place were still in the wall, undamaged, not even bent or stretched. We were confused. Even with all the paranormal stuff going on at this stage, we still tried our best to find a logical reason for this, rehanging the mirror and trying to debunk what had happened, but to no avail. Another aspect I should clear up now is that, like I mentioned, I was in college at this point of my life. I was staying on campus Monday to Friday, 
and nothing ever happened to me whilst I was at college. I never got pinned down in my bed. I never had anything unexplained or strange happen to me whilst I was sleeping on campus. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The next major thing that happened still chills me to my core to this day. Quite frankly, pardon the language, but it's fucked up to put it lightly. I'll hold my hand up and admit that if I heard this story on the TV, or if someone told me this story themselves, I'd have called bullshit and told them to get their head checked at the doctor's. But it becomes real when it happens to you and I cannot judge anyone for not believing me. I can only add that I hope they never have to go through something like this. I was 20, studying English and history in university, and coming home on a Friday evening to work the weekend at our local supermarket, before going back to college on Sunday night. My bed was still behind my bedroom door, and I think I'd been lulled into a false sense of security because nothing serious had happened in a while. It's amazing how much your tolerance for weird stuff goes up when it starts happening to you, because now we viewed items going missing, knocks, bangs, voices from nowhere, all as the norm. If anything, we'd made peace with those happenings so long as the nasty thing wasn't around the house. Anyhow, I was laying on my side, with my back facing the door and my face to the wall, and was just drifting off to sleep, when a chill ran down my spine, and the hairs on the back of my neck stood on end. Someone 
or something was watching me. I was wide awake, and I could feel the panic taking hold in my chest as I worked up the courage to roll over. And when I did, there was this black thing crouched down at the side of my bed. I froze. I couldn't make out any features other than its gaping grin of a mouth and its jagged white teeth that I could clearly see as it leered at me like a Cheshire cat. It was human-shaped, like legs and arms, but it was small. Not a child, but not adult-sized either. It was solid, inky black. No clothes, no other discernible features, just an utter sneering, horrid grin that seemed to delight in my absolute terror. I freaked the fuck out. I jolted back in my bed, trying to put a modicum of space between me and this thing, but it just clamped its hand over my mouth. I screamed and screamed as loud as I could, and it just cackled at me. It laughed in this horrible, slow, malicious growl. It dripped with utter amusement at my fear. Then it leaned in and said, They're all mine. You can't stop me. In the same low, gravelly voice. I somehow managed to kick myself free. I leapt off the end of the bed. As this thing was at the side of my bed, I had to kind of run around its back to get to the bedroom door. I bolted for the door, grabbed the handle and yanked on it. All the while, this thing kept cackling at me. But the door wouldn't open. I wrenched the handle as hard as I could, thumping it, kicking it, screaming, yelling, trying everything in my power to open the door, because I couldn't understand why it wouldn't open. My bedroom door didn't have a lock. It had a latch inside the handle, but it never had the lock part. It had never locked. I'd never got on a key for the door because it wasn't capable of being locked. I kept screaming and yelling because I knew Dad and Anthony were downstairs in the living room watching WrestleMania, so why weren't they coming to save me? After what felt like forever, the door opened, and at that exact same moment the alarm system in the house started going off. But the alarm hadn't been set for reasons I'll explain shortly. I ran from my room in a blind daze, took the 13 steps on our staircase in two bounds and barreled into the living room in absolute hysterics. My twin followed a few moments later. I don't think anything happened to her, but with me incoherently raving and the alarm blaring, the whole house was now awake. Dad turned the alarm off and tried to find out what had happened to me, but he couldn't get any sense out of me. So we went and got my mom and I eventually calmed down enough to tell them what had happened. Dad got angry, then decided to go upstairs and confront this thing. He and Anthony went upstairs. Now Dad is five foot nine, ex-army and covered in tattoos. Anthony had been about 16 going on 17 and near enough the same height as Dad and mad into boxing at the time. So these were two well-able men. They both went upstairs and into my bedroom, where I heard my dad more or less shouting for the thing to pick on someone its own size. The door of the room shut behind them and wouldn't let them out. After a minute or so of them hauling at the handle, 
it evidently decided it had taught them enough of a lesson and let them out again. Needless to say, I spent the next few weekends home sleeping on the couch in the living room. I refused point blank to go into my bedroom. I wouldn't even stay in the house on my own anymore because I'd see shadows out of the corner of my eye or I'd hear voices down the hallway when I was the only one home. I just didn't feel safe there anymore. Dad took it upon himself to go and sleep in my room when I was at college and he later told me that something had attacked him in his sleep too. He'd woken up and something had hold of his two hands together over his chest. Now, as I mentioned before, my dad isn't some little waif. He said he gave it his everything, struggling against this thing for what felt like minutes before it just let him go. He took this as a warning, a show of force per se. It could do that to him. It could do it to anyone, any time, it felt like. Okay, so, why wasn't the alarm set, you may ask? Well, because there was more than that nasty thing in the house. There was also a little girl who liked to hide things, move things, and who had combed her fingers through Denise's hair one night when the nasty thing had her pinned to the bed. She said the little girl had been trying to comfort her because the little girl didn't like the nasty thing either. And this little girl didn't like being left alone in the house either, apparently. Because every time Dad would set the alarm and leave the house, she would set it off. Only Dad, though. I was with him one day when this was happening, and okay, the first time or two, you put it down to... Oh, I mustn't have punched in the right code or something. So you trudge back inside, punch in the code to disarm the alarm and reset it. But when it goes off the third time, the fourth time, you check the windows to make sure you didn't leave one open or anything. Then the fifth time, you start to question if the alarm's faulty. The sixth time it happened, Dad went inside, disarmed the alarm and yelled down the hallway, Stop messing with the alarm, I'm going to be late. He then armed the alarm and came back outside, standing there waiting for it to go off. But it didn't. I then had to go on Erasmus, like an overseas training course, to Denmark for a few months. And whilst I was there, I called Mam every evening to let her know I was okay and to have a chat. On one of those evenings, I was looking out from my apartment, across the harbour and chatting away to Mam about something and nothing, when static crackled across the line. I paused, giving it a second to clear, and then took a breath to talk, but then... The horrible, malicious, low growl started to laugh slowly down the phone at me, the same laugh of that thing that had been crouched at the side of my bed. I nearly broke down. I thought I was safe in Denmark, but I took this to mean I can get you wherever you are. I immediately hung up and called Mam back on Skype on my laptop. She was obviously worried because I'd just hung up mid-call. I told her what I'd heard 
and she 100% believed me. But she said she hadn't heard it on her side. From then on, I only ever used Skype to call home. I was due to fly back home to Ireland in December, and I'd been getting something signed in the college. Now, when it's winter in Denmark, it gets light at about half ten in the morning, and it's pitch black by two in the afternoon. So I was walking home at around four in the afternoon, and it's as dark as it would be at four in the morning. I'd just crossed the level crossing that separated the harbour from where my apartment building was. I still had one marina to pass before I got to where my building was, so I took my usual route, down to the corner of the footpath, look right to the long stretch of the harbour, then look left to the marina where the fishing trawlers are. Nothing coming. Perfect. I take a step forward to leave the footpath, and something grabs my elbow in a vice-like grip, and yanks me back so hard that I stagger to save my balance. At that exact moment, a car comes speeding out of nowhere, mounting the corner of the path where I'd been standing, and tore off in the opposite direction. I spun around to thank whoever had yanked me back, only to find that I was standing alone on the path. Weird, right? Well, here's where it gets weirder. A couple of weeks before that, I'd been standing at that same level crossing with about 20 or 30 other people waiting for the high-speed train to pass when a young woman sidled through the throng of people and jumped out in front of the approaching train. It was tragic, heartbreaking and a shocking thing to witness. I don't know if that has anything to do with my invisible saviour that afternoon but someone I couldn't see saved me from death. I flew home before Christmas and the only notable thing to happen over the holidays was on Christmas Day itself. We all sat at the table, eating our Christmas dinner, pulling crackers and reading bad jokes from inside the crackers when (coughs) there was a very loud and very intentional male cough from down the hall. The kitchen door was open and all six of us were sat at the table. We each looked at each other in turn, then looked down the empty hall before slowly going back to eating and joking. Like I said before, it's amazing how much your tolerance for the unexplained goes up as the severity does too. Whereas this, a door opening, knocks and bangs, would have sent us into a tizzy before... Now it was something that got a few seconds notice and then was brushed aside. A few months later, I was going to my friend's 21st birthday party and I couldn't find the pair of heels I wanted to wear. Mam and Denise had already headed into town, so it was just me and my dad in the house. Now, I'm a bit OCD with my stuff and my room. Everything has a place, including my shoes and there was a very apparent and obvious gap where these heels should have been. I rang Denise to make sure she hadn't borrowed them unbeknownst to me, and no, she hadn't. Out of pure and utter frustration, I turned around in the middle of my room and addressed the little girl, telling her, 
You can play with my things, but I need my shoes back. I want to go and have fun with my friends tonight. Please give them back. Nothing. Then I heard my dad call me from downstairs because he couldn't find something either. I needed a breather because I was about two seconds away from self-destructing over Shoegate. I went downstairs and crouched down at the cupboard in the kitchen, looking for whatever Dad couldn't find, while he stood behind me, peering into the same space in feigned help. I looked up to say something to Dad, and I saw a man standing nonchalantly at the kitchen door. His shoulder was perched against the jamb of the door, his hands in his pockets. A young man, not old, maybe early thirties at most. I clearly jumped. Dad had to catch me to stop me from ending up sprawled on the kitchen floor. He asked what was wrong and I looked up to the kitchen door again and there's no one there. I told him what I'd seen and he just nodded and said, I believe you. I never saw that man again. That was the first and last time I saw him. I didn't get a nasty feeling from him. It was like he'd just been passing through and had paused on his way to watch the amusement of what we've been doing. I found whatever Dad had been looking for and went back upstairs to continue my search for my shoes. And there they were, side by side, in the middle of my bedroom floor, just waiting for me. I was dumbfounded. I just said a quick, thank you, grabbed them and went back downstairs to put them on. I mean, what else was I meant to do? Skipping forward a few months, years even, and I'm 23. I've dropped out of college and I'm working full time in that local supermarket. And weird things are still going on in the house. The usual stuff, things being moved, knocks, bangs, shadows... The alarm system has now been disconnected because of the little girl messing with it. My brother Anthony is living in town with his girlfriend, which means there's now a spare bedroom at home. And I tended to frequent this bedroom if things got too bad upstairs, such as if I got pinned down or if something tried to pin me down. I would bolt downstairs to the spare room for a night's sleep. As I said before, I got very good at sensing danger. I got very attuned to recognising the feeling of when the nasty thing was around. And I got very good at getting the hell out of its way before it got to me. This particular night, I think I'd started out the night in the spare room. Which means something must have happened the night before. And by something, I mean I'd either been pinned down or the nasty thing had tried to pin me down the night before. Laying in the bed in the spare room, I was tossing and turning, just drifting off to sleep, when I got that sense of dread in my chest, and my stomach sank. This was the feeling I usually got that warned me to get up and move, because something was going to hurt me. But, naively, I brushed this aside because I was in a different room and nothing had ever happened in my brother's room apart from a poster falling off the wall but he put that down to gravity. Anyhow, I'd thought myself safe and sound in the spare room 
it turns out I was wrong. I felt it come down to me. I know how vague and how airy-fairy that might sound and even how bonkers it makes me sound. But it is what it is and this is the only way I can explain what happened that night. My bedroom was directly over my parents' room and my brother's room and I felt this oppressiveness float down from the spare room ceiling. My body and my gut instinct had tried to warn me that something was going to happen and I'd ignored it and the nasty thing had slunk itself down through the floor of my bedroom, through the ceiling of the spare room and down to where I was laying in bed. I knew I was in trouble straight away. I tried to sit up and throw back the duvet but I wasn't quick enough. It pinned me down in the bed and an unseen hand clamped over my mouth. The bed was shaking and vibrating, and in the same malicious, low, gravelly voice it had used to laugh at me the night it crouched down at the side of my bed, it whispered in my ear, Slut, slut, slut. I kicked, I screamed, I flailed, and I finally managed to get out of the bed. I ran for the door, opened it and ran out of the room and bolted up the hallway. The way our house is set up, you need to get halfway up the hall before you reach the light switch, as the other light switch that controls it is inside the front door. I hit the light switch as I ran past it and kept running. I could hear it running behind, but it wasn't the sound of footsteps. It was like scraping on tiles. Like the sound of a dog's paws running on tiles, that same scratching and scraping noise. I got to the top of the hall, where you need to take a right to get to the living room, and just as I made that turn, the light switch was turned off behind me. Now, forever the rational mind, maybe I hadn't hit it right in my panic state as I'd ran past, like half pressed it in, but the light had stayed turned on until I'd made it up the second half of the hallway and it hadn't flicked off straight away. So take from that what you will. I know what I think, and I wholly believe it to have turned the light off to torment me. I barreled into the empty living room and curled up on the side of the couch, the one that was furthest away from the living room door. The living room door has two frosted glass panels, one on its top, one on its bottom half. So while the panels aren't clear, you can still see if someone's silhouette is walking past. As I sat on the couch, shaking and trying to calm myself down, a shadow passed across the door. This large black mass was as tall as the glass panels, so a good six or seven feet, a height no one in our house was. I held my breath for a second, then let out a sigh of relief thinking maybe now I was safe. The thing had gone. It had just passed by the door and was done with its games for the night. But just as I started to relax my breathing, something sat down heavily in Dad's armchair. And then, an almost amused sigh. I felt that same knot of panic rise up in my throat. It was in the living room with me. I tore out of the living room, straight back down the hall I'd sprinted up and unceremoniously woke up mum and dad. I was 23 years of age, 
and I slept in my parents' bed that night. That's what my life had become. I genuinely thought this thing was out to ruin my life or make me go insane because I just couldn't sleep. I couldn't relax in this house. I wouldn't stay in this house on my own and I didn't feel safe in my own home. So, a few weeks later, I moved out. I found a small one-bedroom apartment in town. It was just around the corner from work and I had gotten used to having my own space whilst I lived in Denmark. Coupled with that want for independence was the quiet thought in the back of my head that nothing had ever happened to me whilst I stayed on campus in university or whilst I lived in Denmark. Save, of course, for that voice on the phone. Oh, and my invisible saviour. So part of me correlated the paranormal activity with our house. So if I wasn't in the house, then I'd be okay. It certainly made sense in my head anyhow. The apartment was by no means luxurious, but it was the first time I had my own place and my own space to make my own, so I was happy. And things were good. In fact, everything was perfect. That is, for the first three months. Until one day I came home from work, slid my key into the lock and turned it and I felt a knot of fear and dread, and my stomach sank. For no good reason, I was genuinely scared to open my own front door. When I did turn the key and push the door inwards, a whirling black mass rushed at me from inside the apartment. I startled back and clamped my eyes shut, waiting for impact. When no impact came... I cracked one eye open and saw nothing. I told myself that I'd imagined it, that I'd been tired after a long day at work. But something in me knew that my reprieve was over. The nasty thing had followed me here. Claire's amazing, terrifying, true paranormal experience concludes tomorrow for the final part of the darkest chapter so make sure to hit that subscribe button so you know as soon as the episode drops if you can't wait until tomorrow you can always join our patreon team who will have had the final episode delivered to them on this very friday when you sign up to Patreon, not only do you receive these episodes ad-free and before everyone else, you also receive exclusive access to our Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites, with well over 30 hours of unheard true paranormal stories for you to binge on. And we'll be saying a huge thank you to everyone who signed up to our Patreon over the last few weeks at the end of the conclusion of tomorrow's episode. So remember, try not to dwell on today's episode. There's probably nothing watching you from the shadows. Probably. And I'll speak to you tomorrow for the conclusion of The Dark Paranormal, The Darkest Chapter. <laughs>